Hey, it's Bobby. And it's Jared. Bobby, it's been over. We had a week off last week. Yeah, we had a week off, and um, you know, we we've had. Some... I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it like a cool person. I'm gonna say it like a cool person, Bobby. It's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> we'll say it like the kids do. I guess. Yeah, that's as it, yeah as the youths say. We are. It's it's been a minute. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, it's it was good though. It was a good break, but um, especially with how heavy the conversations have been, and unfortunately, uh, but fortunately. For our sake, because it keeps giving us reasons to talk, um, but uh, it seems yeah. like like things have not died down, and not, and that's okay. I'm I'm actually glad that it hasn't. Yeah, I'm not wanting things to just go back to the way they were. I'm not a fan of the status quo. The status quo for a long time was let's pretend like everything's okay with race in America. And if anybody brings it up, just swoop in and accuse them of stirring the pot for no good reason. But things weren't good, you know, things weren't good. And, um, you know, I hope people keep talking because I think, uh, there's some hard stuff. Uh, there's some negative stuff, but I feel like there are just so many positive things that can come from this in the, in the long run. If we let it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that what we're seeing right now though, is kind of the, um, I guess the, where are we going, right? What's going to be coming next? Because, because yeah. the, the, the protests, the riots, that kind of stuff have not necessarily died down because there's still protests occurring. Um, yeah. but yeah. they're not as, I think now it's more of a, what, what is our society going to start doing with it? And, and what we're seeing in, at least what I'm seeing anyway on social media, especially is these counterpoints, right? Um, Oh, there's a, there's okay. a whole lot of counterpoints to, uh, well, okay, you're talking about racism, you're talking about white privilege, you're talking about all this stuff, and then people want to say, well, but I've never done this, right? Like they instantly go to, I've never yeah. been, I've never been a racist, so I, so I don't understand this, or I've never been a part of this, or um, you go into the idea of. Uh, white privilege doesn't exist because I was white and I never had an issue. Um, and then you have that back and forth. So now, right now, people are trying to reconcile their arguments, I think, trying to open, right. open up their briefcase, step before the judge and say, let me show you how everything that they're they're fighting against right now really doesn't right. exist. Which I'm telling you is just the wrong way to do it. That is just protecting your worldview. I'm saying like, listen, just give into it enough that you start listening to someone else's point of view. That was the flip that flipped the switch for me, Bobby is like, you know, I, I had been for a long time, maybe not outspoken about it, but just in the back of my mind, arguing against people, uh, who are against my version of history, uh, maybe against my, um, comfortable way of life. And, you know, when I started, when the switch flipped for me was I stopped and I said, wait a minute, what if let's just let's just operate under the assumption for a little while here is if what if all of the people of color, what if all the black people are saying we're still not being treated equally? What if I just started operating under the assumption that that's right? (laughs) Why don't I just start taking them seriously and start listening to, I guess, I don't know if this is the right term, but for lack of a better term, start listening to some black voices, you know, 
And I just, you know, and, and I had, you know, read books going back to like, you know, uh, college and stuff. You get into some really neat um, stuff uh, in African-American history. If you take like African-American literature and stuff like that, you, you get into that stuff. But I wanted to know what was being said now. What was being said by black pastors? You know, what was being said now on maybe like podcasts that are just people of color talking, mm-hmm. you know, um, because that that's that's a thing that had come into existence, you know. And so I so I, I listened to a, one show. I just and this was around maybe like 2015, 2016. I said, I'm just going to start opening my ears to what do people have to say about politics now, uh, policing now, all of that stuff, and just treat it with the idea of I'm not arguing against it, but what if they're right? Like, what if they're telling the truth? And that's basically what happened to me. That was where the the switch flipped, and, you know, I could see it in my heart that I go, yeah, you know, the black experience is different. The – the Hispanic experience is different. And I was really warming up to the idea that it's different for women in general too, you know? And, uh, and lo and behold, I, I maybe was starting to learn to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes without thinking that I knew everything that, that they know. And I just stopped arguing against it. You know, um, W. Kamau Bell, you know, uh, listening to him in conversations with Harry Kondabalu, and they did they had a podcast together, but also they say a lot of things on Twitter. And I just kind of started listening to them, you know. Um, there were a lot of things like Code Switch and great podcast, Through Line, another great podcast. I started to listen to Pastor Tony Evans, you know. Yeah, I was like, I'm just you know, you're talking about a famous <laughs> preacher or something, you know. I don't know if Tony Evans has a mega church or whatever, but. He definitely preaches like someone he does. And I was like, I want to hear his perspective. I started listening to William uh, Barber. I started listening to William Barber and, uh, you know, great, um, you know, black civil rights leader today. He doesn't get all the press because he's not like inflammatory, but he's got to be the most woke person I've ever heard in my life <laughs> because he's he's woke to racial injustice, but he's woke to the power of Jesus, too. That's what I mean by most woke. It's yeah. like. Woke to the Holy Spirit is what he is, you know? yeah. and woke to American history. It's amazing. Well, I got once I started listening to people and going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if, what if they're telling the truth? I put those weapons down. I didn't have to look for the counterpoints that could defend my worldview for me, you know. Yeah. And you know, it, it is actually like a nice place to be because I'm not fighting stupid fights. To protect my white male ego, yeah, I am basically just I'm basically just learning, and I feel like every time I learn something, I get more of the truth, and that's really what I'm after here is not to protect my worldview. I mean, I uh, I crave truth, like I'm addicted to it because every time I learn something that's true about the way things are now, or about how they got that way because of the history of the culture I live in. Every time I get a little bit of that truth, it is like a breath of fresh air that gives me life and makes me – it gives me something that I that I really, really want in my life every time, and that is to understand why things are the way they are. I love that. That's why I read the book of Genesis 
<laughs> because I want to know how this world, this creation got, got to be this way. That's yeah. why I read American history. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I think that's the, that's a big piece, right? Because you got to understand like, this is where, this is what we're wrestling with. I think and what we're watching people wrestle with right now is the history, right? Um, they're being, yeah. they're being made aware of what happened in the past and, and there's a battle going on within. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of with people who are wrestling with who they, what they've always known and realizing that what they've always known is not all correct. Yeah. And right. And that, that is a hard thing because that feels number one, embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number two, it feels inconvenient because now you might have to relearn something right? and you might have to, because we do act upon what we believe history to be. We can act like that's the past, but we do live our daily lives in the present, um, you know, guided by our philosophies and beliefs. And a large part of that comes out of what we perceive history to be and where we came from and where other people came from. Right. And so we're going to go ahead and be talking. We're going to actually talk a lot about this right now because I think that this is this is where we're at today. We're talking. We're going to be talking a lot about the idea of um, cancel culture. What's happening right now with people who are um, bringing up things from the past in people's lives and canceling them out because of it. Um, oh, the, and, oh, okay. And, and things that happen currently and people are canceling them out. We're going to be talking about that because that's a big piece. Um, and, but we also want to talk a little bit about, um, a very important topic that's happening, bringing in the cancel culture idea is we're watching a lot of historical monuments, um, being removed, uh, being, uh, torn down or being asked to be taken down. Uh, we saw it in our, in, okay. in uh, Harrison County, right? Our own just uh, next door. Yeah. Neighbor, right? I, um, I actually was standing uh, two feet away from that statue about 30 minutes ago. It was down at the courthouse today, and I was reading the plaque on the side. We could talk about that Yeah, I, at some point. Yeah, I'd love to hear actually what that plaque says in a second. But, um, but, we're, but we're watching okay. things that have been – that carry a message, right, that carry a tone, that carry a memory, that carry a, a weight to them um, for our – um, black brothers and sisters, right? Then, and that maybe because it's something that many have just kind of seen, it's just become something that we've always known, and something that's always kind of been a part of their lives, that they've never really understood the history behind it, or yeah. they've thought, oh, it's just history. It's not something we should be dwelling on. It's just a, it's just a statue. Um, and so we're going to be talking about what does it mean for us to really be engaged in the count in the cancel culture. Or versus the idea of saying, no, we're actually here to re, redesign, regain, reimagine, uh, uh, reconcile um, dignity back to identity, right? Uh, because cause uh, I, cause I think that's the two things that we're seeing right now. The cancel culture saying just end it because of things people have done or whatever and, and without really a whole lot of clarity. And then the idea of replenishing reconciling identity back to or dignity back to identity. And so I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to wrestle with that today in, in this time. Um, okay. So, but before we go into the statue of Stonewall Jackson, 
I want to talk about Aunt Jemima. Because um, that, okay. that's what we're seeing blowing up right now. People are in an outrage over Aunt Jemima. Uh, we, They're out. To be clear, are they out? Are they outraged because of the removal of Aunt Jemima as like a, a logo and a product name? Um, that's a great question. It seems to me like it is the idea of a logo product name. From what I'm seeing, is people are saying, uh, how, "How how offended can you be over a picture and a name of syrup, right? Um, and pancake, <laughs> I don't, right? And and they're saying, you know, people are saying, well, if 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 you're offended, I've seen memes that say, if you're offended over a picture and a name on pancakes, you're a part of the problem. Um, and it's like, okay, I've oh, seen. You know seen, what, man? You could just fill in the blank. You could just have have a sentence end with "you're part of the problem." I want to say people who end sentences with "you're part of the problem," they're a part of the problem, <laughs> which makes me a part of the problem. That makes me a part of the problem. But I get it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and and look, I, I'm I'm going to say I love the syrup. I love the product in the sense of like what it does for my pancakes. It's delicious. But but. I, until right now, right, these are things that are kind of being educated about because there are things that are like being, wow, like this is actually something that our black brothers and sisters have to constantly weigh on them. And maybe we maybe didn't even realize it because they're not going to walk around saying, they're not walking around saying my Aunt Jemima's, right. you know, Aunt Jemima's bad. Like they're not going to just say that. They're just going to be like, okay, <laughs> like, this is what The first thing that comes up, you know, yeah. you're not going to see a person coming away from breakfast looking all sad you're like what's the matter with you oh man just aunt jemima you know <laughs> yeah i mean the reality of it is is like dude they have bigger things to be worrying about you know exactly but, it's such a minor detail right now but you know but the thing is the history behind behind aunt jemima as a pro as a product name needs to really yeah. be brought out and understood because what we're also seeing is people kind of you know shoot like as they always do sharing memes and sharing information that is not always yeah. factually correct and so they but they but it fits their narrative it fits their worldview so they share it to make themselves feel good and then to push back on the the idea that maybe um, racism exists or maybe this is a racist a racist product now let me go ahead and do some enlightening if you don't mind because thank you what we're seeing on these memes and a lot of people are saying Aunt Jemima died a millionaire, you know, and honestly, I believed it for a little while, um, that she died a millionaire, that she was, you know, that she was, um, well, well taken care of that, you know, all this stuff and that she was happy in her position. Now, the reality of it is, okay. is that, uh, up until, um, I'm going to go ahead and pull up some facts here because I, cause I want to make sure I say this correctly. I need the facts because I wasn't even thinking at any point in my life that Aunt Jemima was like a real person, I just thought maybe it was like Mrs. Butterworth, you know? Well, Aunt Jemima is not a real person. Now, let's go ahead and go to the history of Aunt Jemima before I pull up the other information about the person who played Aunt Jemima. So Aunt Jemima is actually okay. based on a song that was written by an African-American African -American minstrel. Now, the minstrel yeah. was actually performed and used in a, um, a minstrel show where white people were in blackface. Um, dem right. demonstrating, um, yeah. basically how in, uh, how, how would I say it? Right. The way that they would put it in this minstrel show is look how dumb, yeah. right. They would like, this is what they would uh, say. Yeah, well, it was, it was a twofold thing. I'm going to get theater teacher on you because awesome. like, uh, 
you know, uh, minstrel shows and people in blackface, uh, you know, in American history, it's one of the, it's one of the dark sides of theater history. You know, we do consider that part of theater history. Um, but what it, it was, a, it was a double edged sword. It did a couple of things for, uh, white people and, and like the idea of white superiority is number one, it, um, it did make a way to make fun of uh, black people, like as, as caricatures, you know, like make, make, you know, sort of a ridiculous uh, racial stereotype, uh, really big and silly. Okay. So they would play it up and <clears throat> do these big voices and these big movements and they would look like stupid goofy people while they did it like a bunch of stooges up there Mm -hmm. and then but but here's the other side of it so it it had that side of it to sort of oppress black people in that way by constantly maintaining the the stereotype that they were they were less intelligent than whites then uh, it did this other thing it gave white people the chance to perform black music which they actually really liked and you will find that um you know throughout the history of america uh, white people do enjoy black culture but like to take black culture and throw out the people that created it you know so i uh throughout american music the most popular musicians have been those who have been those white people who could take black and repackage it for whites like Elvis, you know, that's why Elvis was the biggest superstar of the middle 20th century is because he gave people everything they wanted. It was a white man doing black music and, and moves, you know, cool dances and stuff like that. And he's mm-hmm. taking the culture and, and throwing out the people. Now, I don't mean to say that Elvis is malicious. I think Elvis really had like a reverence for the music that he was performing. But, you know, uh, American commercialism the way it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, but if people did minstrel shows, it was a very common thing. It was a huge form, a huge form of entertainment and accepted form of entertainment in America for like decades. Uh, if you want to be horrified right now, just Google um, American movie stars in blackface. I mean, they're in movies. It's not a secret. Like you can see Judy Garland in blackface right now, like performing like minstrel show dances mm-hmm. on YouTube from some very famous movies at the time. Yep. So that's Minstrel. That's the Minstrel Show. Thank you for that education on that Minstrel Show piece. Now, so this is where Aunt Jemima, Old Aunt Jemima was a song that was made for a Minstrel Show. These people who um, created an instant pancake mix um, heard that song and watched the Minstrel Show and said, Hey, you know what? That's the name we want to use for this um, instant pancake mix. And we're going to call it Aunt Jemima. Um, and so what they did was they took a picture of an a African-American lady and they said, this is what we're going to do with this and we're going to make it work. Now, the thing that they did was they took an uh, African-American woman named um, Nancy Green, who was born in okay. uh, the 1800s. Uh, she was born, um, I think, mid-1800s, if I remember correctly. Uh, she was um, – let me make sure I get this right. She was born – um, into slavery on November 17th, 1834 in Kentucky. Now, at the age of 56 in 1890, Nancy was hired as one of the first models for the Aunt Jemima brand. Okay, so now, um, and this is um, basically a thing that I googled, because if you want information, you can google it to find out the truth, right? That's the great thing about Whoa. Yeah, it's great thing about the <laughs> That's amazing. 
Yeah, so you can find that out. So that's where it's at. So Nancy was hired, and she was able to do the show. Now, she was hired as like a lifetime person. Now, what happened was, over time, they started to realize that this probably is a horrible stereotype. Because when she originated, she had the whole um, kind of the mammy um, kerchief kind of thing around her head. Um, right. And, and so looking like a servant, uh, you know, working in the, right. in the kitchen. And um, well, there were actually images. For people who know, like the, the mammy stereotype is when um, like a – you know, a black woman, a slave was made to like raise the children and she would um, cook for them. And there have been many, many white children raised by, you know, their black servants. But the, the servants weren't given the respect of like someone who had ra- raised the children. They were con- still considered expendable, you know, yeah. even though the children might have loved them. The children were sort of taught by their parents don't actually respect her. Right. You can read the book The Help or watch the movie The Help and you can actually get a good idea yeah. of what that actually looks like and see how recent that actually was still going on. Anyway, so Aunt Jemima was in that mammy kerchief and they said, hey, you know what? Maybe we'll take that off. And so they took that off of her head and they kind of made her look a little bit more happy about her role. Now the claim that's – Yeah, made... most frequently I'd say she looks like a, just kind of modern woman really. Yeah. Um, and so – one of the memes that's going around is saying that she was happy in her role, which I think she was pretty pleased with the fact that she was out of slavery playing this role and she was being um, kind of – she was she was it, it constantly in commercials, constantly around the world, around the nation, I believe, maybe even the world, I don't know. But she was out demonstrating Aunt Jemima mix, right? And she was being that show person for it. And so she, yeah. she was a great storyteller, all that stuff, and, and we'll honor that about her. I don't honor the way that the business people used her for this because they were using the stereotype to sell her and she would play the stereotype in order to go ahead and keep them happy. Now the meme that's going around is that she died a millionaire. Now, okay. She did not die a millionaire. At least there's most likely no way that she died a millionaire. Um, mainly because she was paid very, very little to do what she was doing. In fact, so much so that um, from what I've looked into, um, that and let's see, her two great grands in 2014, a lawsuit was filed against Pepsi Company, who owns Quaker, who is the one who started, who is the also the brand for uh, Aunt Jemima. Um, so there's a makes sense. Quaker was like a like a breakfast like oatmeal company, right? Um, so now. The report came out that she was a millionaire. However, the majority of these claims are unsubstantiated. Um, in 2014, a lawsuit was filed against Pepsi Company, which stated that Nancy Green and Anna S. Harrington, another of the Aunt Jemima models, were not paid the monetary compensations they were promised. Um, and then Harrington's two great-grandsons filed the complaint. Um, in 2015, a judge tossed out the $3 billion, $3 billion lawsuit, claiming the two descendants could not prove the relation to Anna Harrington. So it's most likely that Aunt Jemima was not a millionaire. So now, okay. this is why we need to be able to start really looking up historical fact before we start talk, talking about how are you getting offended over a picture and a name. Because <laughs> this right here demonstrates, again, racial issues, right? That this right. African-American woman who was once a slave was still treated like a slave, although she was no longer a slave. She was treated like a slave by this company. 
yes, she had a contract. Yes, she was able to do things that she would have probably would have never been able to do as a slave. Um, but she was she was used as the stereotype in order for white businessmen to make money off of the stereotype. And that's okay. where we frown at it because blackface is not okay anymore. <laughs> like there's a reason for that because it's offensive. Yeah. It's why not use real African-American people to play the roles, but now you have other people playing black people and you have them pretending to be a certain way. And that right. that is where we have problems. And so right. this is why we say we have to start canceling these things out. And this is okay. what we're going to talk about cancel culture because cancel culture, and I'm going to go ahead and read the definition of cancel culture for those who don't know. And if I'm talking yeah. too much, Jared, feel free to tell me to just hold on if I'm talking too much. But I'm I'm kind of no good. You're you're <laughs> uh, this is your part of it, man. <laughs> so cancel culture, according to Google, again, right? Um, it's a it's a way of online shaming. And Dictionary.com says that it refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for or canceling right public canceling public figures in companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive cancel right. culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming now yeah. a, a lot of businesses are jumping ahead of this idea of cancel culture which is what we're seeing with Quaker right now and Pepsi company with Aunt Jemima because they realize that if they don't do it and they don't do it now, that they will be brought up and they will be canceled, right? Because right. if they don't if they choose to willingly ignore and willingly play the play along saying, Well, look, this is just a this is just a product and they were gonna continue using the name and continue using the history of that name to sell that product, they're complicit in promoting racism. Right, that's a, that is a that is a legitimate argument, and right. so in that, I think that they're jumping ahead of cancel culture. For us, what we need to realize is that cancel culture is a thing. It is a major thing right now when we're watching celebrities who are being canceled because of ten year tweets from ten years ago. Um, you know, uh, you know, Facebook posts from fifteen, ten, fifteen years ago. Um, I think Facebook's been all around that time, I don't, uh, that long. I don't know, <laughs> but, but it's like people are looking up things that people have said in you know in just whatever they do, and they are using those things to cancel people out. Um, now I'm going to be talking, in my opinion, the right or wrong thing about this, and I'd love to hear your okay. thoughts on it. Um, and then I want to talk about how the church really has a, has to own into this a little bit, and we're going to talk about that as well. Um, okay. So, um, the right thing about this is when people are willing to continue holding on to these views, where let's say five years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago, I've made a tweet that may have been something that was pretty horrific, right? May have been homophobic, may have been um, hateful towards a group of people. Um, may have been, okay. you know, whatever, right? Let's just go ahead and say I did that. Hopefully, I pray that I never did. I don't believe I would have ever said anything like that, but let's just say I did. And let's just say that it gets brought to my attention that, man, that was pretty hurtful, and I still hold on to that. 
Like I'm not, okay. I'm not willing to apologize. I'm not willing to make things right. I'm not willing, like if I'm not even willing to engage in conversation about it, then that's when cancel culture, I believe is okay. Like It's like, no, this guy, this person is not willing to, to apologize. This person is not willing to own it. This person is not willing to see the wrong in the words and the hurt. Um, then we need to start saying maybe we don't support them. Right. Um, it's almost, okay. it's not that we don't like, it's not that we don't stop. Like maybe, I don't know. Like it isn't like we don't like treat them with love. Like, like we, because as Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. But, but we also, because as Christians, just jumping in for a second, just because yeah. as Christians, it's not, it's not our place to uh, cast somebody to the pit of hell. Right. You know, that, that, you know, to cast them out, obliterate them. That is, that is God's, uh, choice uh, and for us our job is to love until God decides they must be cast out right but we also can speak loudly with our resources um, yeah when, when people are depending on our money right um, right we should be wise enough to say you know what I'm I'm not going to put my money towards someone who is not willing to apologize for saying hurtful things I'm not going to be putting money towards somebody who is promoting hate, right? Promoting anger, promoting rage, promoting whatever. I'm not going to do that. Um, and I, so that means right. I have to be wise about where I go and what I'm supporting. Now, and I, and, and I say this gently because we have spoken before about the idea like when people have said, I'm going to boycott certain things. Um, well, if you're going to boycott those things, you got to make sure that everywhere you go, it doesn't match up with the things you're boycotting. Um, and I'm and, <laughs> right. You know, I, don't, I don't, by the way, I don't even think any boycott has worked since Cesar Chavez like boycotted grapes, you know, <laughs> right? But I, but I'm also saying, like, I'm not going to. I think that if I were to find out that a certain gas station owner said hateful things, then I just wouldn't go to that gas station anymore. I'd find another gas station to go to. If I found out that all gas station owners were just racist bigots and they never say, I'd have to figure out, okay, what am I going to do for fuel, right? Like, or what am I going to do for transportation? Because I have to, I have to be able to say, like, no, I'm not going to put my money toward that, and I have to own that. I have to be real about that. So, what does that mean for me? I don't know, right? I, I don't know how that would work. But I would say that if I knew of a musician, uh, actor, a politician, whoever saying those things, then I wouldn't vote for them. I wouldn't watch. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't go out and pay for their films. I wouldn't go out and buy their music. Why? Because they're holding on to hateful, bigoted views, right? That's just. It's just not something I'm going to do. But where it's wrong, I think the cancel culture gets to is when we kind of throw apologies out the window, right? Where somebody comes in and says, "Look, ten years ago I said this. I can change my point of view in ten years." In my perspective, I can interact with people. I can learn things. I can learn so much in 10 years. Right. And right. because of that, when they apologize, I think we have to be willing to say, okay, they apologize. We're going to take that apology. It's still going to – their words still hurt. Their words still carry weight. But now after they apologize, what are they going to do with that apology? Are they going right. to – like, are they actually going to take action – to shift their beliefs and to demonstrate their new their newfound thinking, um, are they going to delete those tweets, right? Because those tweets are still available, apparently. So, are you going to go back and try to find them and delete them, and say, "Yeah, these are the words I said. 
I own them. I was dumb. I was wrong. Those were my my past thinking, and this is where I stand, and demonstrate that. And and so we have to slow down on canceling people when they apologize, because because we have to be willing to say like, look, we've said some things in our past that if we were famous, right? I'm sure that yeah. that we could be hurt by them, um, and so. It would almost like we can't say that our our sin is or their sin is greater than our sin. If they apologize, they repent, they show that they're like saying, "Look, I really want to change." Then let's work that out. Let's let's walk with them through that. Let's let's be with them in that process because everybody yeah. is growing, everybody is learning. So let's go ahead and walk alongside of them as they're lamenting the process, grieving the process, learning the process, and understanding what to say. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so do you have any thoughts on that? Like, am I am I am I off? Am I? What do you think? No, I, I agree with you on it. Uh, the whole idea of cancel culture has kind of made me a little bit nervous um, because uh, it reeks of uh, just legalism. Mm. Uh, it reeks of like Puritan America, uh, which I've read too much Nathaniel Hawthorne, and I've read The Crucible too many times to be a part of a group that like as soon as they find one sin in you, you're like shunned forever. You know, um, I, it, it reeks of locking people up in the stocks, it, you know, like in the Puritan days that throw rotten tomatoes at them. Any kind of public shaming to me <laughs> makes me feel sick to my stomach for, for whatever it is. Even if the person deserves it you know even if in my mind the person really really deserves it i do not feel like i want to join in on the public shaming of that person yeah if they committed some kind of heinous crime i don't want to do that i don't want to be that person you know right. um i just don't think that that's christ-like for me as a human being i think the only person that has the right to obliterate someone from existence or shun someone uh, would be God the creator because he know, he's the only person that knows the entire story. And I actually believe that God is reluctant to do that. Right. And I guess I should clarify my words too because um, perhaps we should understand too, like I don't um, look at the idea of the public shaming aspect things. Like if, if I found out somebody was holding on to their bigoted beads, that kind of thing, I don't think I'd make a public deal about it, but I'd probably let people right. know. You know what I mean? Like I'd probably like talk to my wife about it. I'd share it with yeah. you. I'd probably share it with some close friends, like saying, "Hey, look, like have you followed this person? Like this is what I'm seeing. Like man, this is hurtful. I'm not. Oh, gonna, yeah. Like I'm not gonna be part of that. I would never like post something on there, or unless of course I got like crazy attacked by that person, like because I stood up to him or something. Right. Um, I, I'd probably be like, okay, let's go to town, right? And I'll be honest about it. But um, that's just because sometimes I have yeah. a little bit of a fighting nature uh, in that regard. But um, but yeah. but we also do need to maintain our Christ-like you know, mentality and, and, and what we do on the outside needs to be very, um, I guess, well, uh, yeah. well-perceived. There are times when I do think that maybe – on a small scale level, you have to um, distance yourself from a person. Like I have, I you know, it may come as a big shock to everyone, but I've probably only blocked or unfriended maybe like one or two people 
from social media in my entire life. Um, I had to unfriend a guy um, because um, he was like, if if a troll, if an internet troll could be a person, <laughs> that's what he that's what he was, and yeah. he and he was like that in person, and and you know he wasn't always like that. Um, he always had a kind of a troubling personality, you know, in terms of being like racist and bigoted. But uh, right about the time that Donald Trump got elected, um, he started to just post his hatred of uh, Muslim people. And he was just really excited that Donald Trump was going to kick all the Muslim people out of the United States. He said, I'll help them pack. And he kept posting these things from Breitbart News uh, that were just Islamophobic. And I had to basically quit. I had to quit him, you know, and I didn't want to. But I was just like, I got to distance this person. I got to distance myself from this person. Um, But. I, I do think that that person that I blocked, he's still valuable as a person. I don't want to see him shunned by his family, and I don't want to see him punished in other ways. But I knew that I could not read anything he writes, uh, and it wasn't entirely sane either. This wasn't a guy who's like on the level and has some good good ideas about what to do about um, America. This was like... This was a guy who's kind of a little bit on the crazy side too. So I just had to back away. You know? Yeah. So. And, and I think that the, that's a healthy thing, right? We have to be willing to step away from people. Like I've had to do that recently, right? I've, and I've um, – Yeah. And, but again, like the, the danger side of that is the people who say, well, you know what? Like, well, you can block people who don't – who are saying hateful things and that's their right to say whatever – um, but what about the people who like when you're saying like it's funny because I've I've actually noticed my my friend list drop on Facebook um, because of I'm assuming that is because of the things that I'm saying or maybe it's because people are just leaving Facebook I don't know but um right but the reality of it is is that I, when I started kind of speaking out on uh, racial injustice and and um, speaking out on racism and uh you know the the need for some reform and um that kind of stuff i feel like a lot of people started kind of either saying wow i can't believe you're going that far or i thought you were a man i thought you were a man of god (laughs) which is always fun yeah Um, they think well here's what it came down to because i read some of those conversations bobby and they think you're stirring the pot against like you know they 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 had their defend whiteness switch like locked on and they thought you were stirring the pot against the status quo which is uh you know white racial superiority you know that's not what they said but that's how me jared brown like interpreted their words against your your which by the way everything you said was really loving and respectful you know i never see you get that that's why i like to talk to you bob because i know you don't get dirty you know you don't like go on personal attacks in fact you're always taking the high road in those conversations which i really appreciate i I mean i I try um and and the thing is like i think that's where we have to get to right and and this is where the the battle between cancel culture and then looking at everything that's going on in the idea of like aunt jemima statues being taken down which i want to hear about the plaque here in a second um, oh, yeah. you know, what, what is like, why are these things happening? The reason why they're happening is because they carry a weight, right? They carry a weight on people. And I recently made an analogy talking about how, you know, it's like you've been beaten or, or you've been 
beaten horribly by by a person in your family who who's an elder in the family, and you it's been happened since your childhood, and then finally you get a little bit older and you're able to start kind of fighting back, and so now the person is no longer able to really hit you the way that you were, but you're still holding on to the pain of your childhood. So now that person passes away, you come to these family parties and and you ask people to hey can we just remove pictures of this person? We're not saying don't talk about them. We're not saying don't – we're just asking right. like I don't want to see the image of this person because when I see them, it reminds me of what they did to me. And it's really not even about right. – it's not even really about me. I just know that when my kids come too, they're going to ask me like who's that person and I'm going to have to tell them about the person who treated me so horribly. And so yeah. can we just remove that picture? We can talk about them, whatever, but just remove the picture. And and then if the family members say, no, that's our history. We need that family picture there. What kind of right. a family would that be? Right? Like it would be a horrible family to be a part of. And so our family members need us right yeah. now to remove the pictures, right, to remove the pain. So that way, at least maybe they can have an honest yeah. conversation with their kids without being too reminded about these monuments, these things that have been placed to honor these people who yeah. cause pain to them. Well, I mean, that's a really good analogy. It's like, you know, uh, if you have an abusive family member, I mean, do you, do you want do you want a statue of that abusive family member in the garden in your backyard? Yeah. No. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> no. Um, so so the so there's a point where we yeah, cancel culture, all that stuff, but then what about the idea of saying we're redefining, reimagining, reconciling dignity back into the identity of people? Yeah. Because that's yeah. another side of cancel culture that I think needs to be valued. Yeah. I I think um you know, and and to be honest, I think some of the the arguments against some of these statues isn't even about feelings. You know, a lot of people want to go that way and say, "Oh man, it's about feelings, and nobody cares about your feelings." I remember the famous picture. Well, there are several famous picture people going to like Trump rallies in the 2016 election, and their shirts say "F your feelings," you know, um, yeah. which I find interesting because the the Trump campaign has always been all about emotion. Yeah, it's always been all about. Feelings. However, however, um, I think what these people mean is this idea of like, oh, you know, these these liberal snowflakes are so easily offended, and now we can't say or do anything or look at anything or have anything that offends them. And um, but I think that's actually a mischaracterization, maybe, of like what's going on with the Confederate statues. Um, you know, uh, I have researched this claim a lot, and you know, okay, so some historians I like. I'm just going to be really you know, really honest about books that I read right now, but I love the historian James Lowen. And he, for years ago, wrote a book called Lies Across America. Um, he wrote a real famous book called Lies My Teacher Told Me. It's just like a book of history of how, like, your your high school history textbook gets certain things wrong, you know, and he proves it, and he's really backed up by basically every historian. It's just everybody knows textbooks, high school textbooks are a um, little bit of a Disney version of American history. And so... Uh, 
then he's got lies across America, which is where the statues and monuments placed all around America, the roadside signs that you see, mm-hmm. where those get it wrong. So he went around America and like all the ones that had something wrong on it that had like bad history or sort of mischaracterized or something, right? Taken out of context or revised history. Mm. Um, he he has an entire book of who's got that wrong, you know? <laughs> and so. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he has actually been posting on Twitter a lot about these Confederate statues, you know, um, and, um, you know, he's brought this up and many people have brought this up that these statues weren't really erected uh, after the Civil War. Um, you know, when a lot of them went up is actually in the 50s and 60s as a counter to the Civil Rights Movement. Um, and so uh, there was a, a vote this week in Har- uh, Harrison County. Now it's not city uh, property; it's on it's at the county courthouse. And uh, we have a statue of Stonewall Jackson. And now, to be fair, this is Stonewall Jackson's actual birthplace. He was actually born in Clarksburg. Um, and so, and we've always known that. Like I have stood at the graves of Stonewall Jackson's parents. Um, you know, just down the road is a farm uh, with, you know, many of Stonewall Jackson's uh, family. And, um, you know, and I'm a big fan of old graves and Civil War graves. And I do hang around, you know, dead people from the 1800s sometimes. They're buried literally right here in my backyard in Philippi. <laughs> There's Civil War history all around me. That's and crazy. no joke, Bobby, about 100 yards from my house, uh, you got to come out and see it. There was a graveyard on top of the hill, and the people lived and died in the 1800s. And um, I know, I know that they saw and heard and were in the Civil War because it took place just six miles down the road, right here in Philippi, right? Yeah. And so, that's crazy. Um, they they surely were a part of it. The people that lived on this very farmland where I live. Well, you know, <clears throat> the thing about um, that is a. Uh, you know, I just I just love like all this history and stuff, but the, but the but the statues were not put up, you know, as to sort of like say, let's remember the lessons of the Civil War. The statues were put up not in the 1800s. The statues were put up in the 50s and 60s. So quiz time. When do you think the Harrison County Courthouse was built the current courthouse is there they had an old one but it was destroyed and they built kind of a an, an art deco looking one when do you think it was built um i don't know 1964 okay it was built in 1931 okay okay so that's why it looks kind of <laughs> art deco um right. you know um it's got these two iron eagles on it uh it's not a very attractive building but it is the period kind of it you know, industrial and whatever. 1931 was the, you know, the middle of the great depression. I could see where they didn't have a chance to make a very pretty courthouse. Um, the, the, the previous courthouse that was destroyed that I've seen in old photos was much prettier. All right. Now the statue of Stonewall Jackson, uh, quiz time, Bobby, was it, was it put there? Was it put there when the courthouse was built or much later? Later. It was that's right. Why else would I ask the question? It was built. It, the 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 statue of Stonewall Jackson was put there in 1953. All right, hmm. it is put there right as the civil rights movement is gaining steam. 
It's a wow. couple years before Rosa Parks, but it's after the military was desegregated. And anybody with their ear to the ground in 1953 knew that civil rights was becoming a thing, you know? And so this idea of, I I don't know the hearts of the people who put that statue up, but I do believe that the idea was to say, hey, let's put it up as a response to this move towards equality that black Americans are starting to march towards. Hmm. It just seems like, huh, because it was much later after the courthouse was built. It's not a part of the original courthouse design. It's put in. Now, what organization, this is according to the plaque that I read today, what organization um, raised the money for the statue and had it put it up? The NRA. <laughs> no. Uh, well, there wasn't an NRA as we know it. Yeah, I, I, have, but, uh, I have no idea, man. It was, are you ready for this? Yeah. The Daughters of the American Confederacy. Mm. So think mm. about that for a minute. I don't want so to. So they're definitely, they're, they're definitely uh, having oh. this attitude of let's put up some Confederate monuments, and it may very well be in response to the growing civil rights movement of the time, even right here in Harrison County. So mm. uh, the Harrison County Commission uh, voted today whether to remove the statue or not, and of course people are saying, like, don't, you know, don't remove our history and all that. And those are the typical things that you get. But um, it was not, it was not really put there necessarily for the reason of history. Okay. Uh, but anyway, um, there's only three people on a county commission, and they voted two to one to keep it. So it's going to remain for now. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I can't help but think, you know, the Daughters of the American Confederacy in 1953 had a purpose for that monument, right? And it was to kind of send a message, right? Um, the Daughters of the American Confederacy I, and, and um, <clears throat> Sons of the Confederacy, I actually, um, I actually uh, have thought about a monument that they have put up. I like to visit Harper's Ferry, and you know, I, you know, my kids and I have been to Harper's Ferry together a couple times, and you know, we like to go see the firehouse where uh, uh, John Brown had his raid. And if you don't know all that John Brown history, listeners, it's it's easy to find. Go check it out. Yeah. And um, but you probably do because it's pretty big in your American history book. Well, anyways, uh, anyway, uh, they have a rock. It's a rock, and chiseled into the rock is kind of like a message or maybe a plaque on the rock. I can't see it quite. I've seen it for myself in my mind. I, I took note of it when I was first there, and it is a monument to the first person killed in the, uh, John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry, which was John Brown felt that this was going to be the beginnings of a violent slave revolt. He wanted to free slaves, uh, give them pikes, which is like a spear with a knife on the end of it. Uh, it's a it's a bad looking weapon. You've never seen it, but um, he uh, they have a bunch of them at Harper's Ferry now. You can go see. But anyway, um, he he uh, staged this raid and he was gonna like you know free the slaves uh, violently and um, which not everybody agreed with, even abolitionists and stuff. In fact, I think Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, while they believed in what John Brown wanted, didn't want to be part of that that particular raid or that violent way of going about it. So they kind of sat that out on purpose. But um, the first person killed, ironically, was a, a black man. And uh, for some reason, Daughters of the American Confederacy and Sons of the American Confederacy kind of 
like this fact. And so they had a monument put up in the mid 20th century uh, to um, <clears throat> to to basically commemorate the death of that man. Um, and it it really to me has seemed like it is for no other purpose than to be an embarrassment to to the mistakes that John Brown made. You know, mm-hmm. and and what what John Brown wanted was to free the slaves. Now he went about it violently, and he the first person he killed was a black person. And I just think that this they thought let's have a monument so that people will not forget that, right? And uh, and then they're going around about putting up statues of like you know Confederate soldiers and stuff. And listen, I, I'm like history buff, but I'm like if this statue was put up as a response to the Civil Rights Movement because you're afraid that black people are going to achieve equality in voting. That's crazy to me, man. That is crazy to me. That that makes me really actually do a double take on what is this statue for? Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, wow. Man, there's so much that you got that you just enlightened me on. It's like, blank, my goodness. <laughs> like, and you know, right. my, and I, I don't know if we're canceling Stonewall Jackson. I mean, like again, my favorite um, uh, wow. historian James Lowen said that you know he he's for all these like Confederate statues coming down and for names of buildings being changed that are named after like these people who are outspokenly racist, you know, um, politicians and whatnot. But um, he he thought that uh, there was one town that actually removed its slave auction block that had been there since the actual days of the slave auctions downtown. Mm-hmm. And they removed the slave auction block and took it to a museum. And he said that one they should have kind of left so people could see that slavery did happen right here on this spot in this town. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that it's like, you know, if we're going to delete everything, maybe we're going to delete some things that we should keep. And, yeah, I see where that's hurtful to people. That is kind of like the the picture of the abusive family member. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like no one in that town could forget that right here in our town we had slavery. Because I'm telling you, people in my town, they are not aware in general that there was the KKK and there was segregation right here in my town. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy what people don't know. Um, but now let's – so like with all of that tips to be said because now as we do in our podcast, we have to talk about the church and all this and we have about four minutes to do it. And so okay. we, we might be continuing this conversation next week. But um, yeah. so we talk about count, can, uh, cancel culture and the, the thing about this is that I've witnessed a lot of church people get really up in arms a lot about um, the statues being removed. Um, a lot of them being up in arms about um, the the idea of canceling out Aunt Jemima, um, the idea of all these things, and saying like, "How are you going to be so offended over things? Quit being so offended. Why are we so offended?" And I'm just going to say this right here, right now. <laughs> Church people, we have monopolized being offended all of this time. It is time for other people to be willing to be offended, right? To be able to be offended. We we have monopolized. That is a really good. Bobby, I've been on the internet saying, you know, all these people who say who are complaining now that everybody's so easily offended these days. Those people have been censoring me my entire life. I am talking about church people. Yes, they've been like, don't don't say this, don't write that, don't wear that, don't have that hair, don't have that attitude, don't don't you even think about, you know, bringing this up as a topic, you know. Uh, shut your mouth, my friend. And they've been saying that to me my entire life. And now they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
someone else is offended. Yeah. Can't handle you, it. <laughs> you, you can get offended. Like It's okay for, for Christians to get offended over um, Target deciding to have um, extra bathrooms or whatever bathrooms they decided to do, right? And, <laughs> yeah, um, I forgot about that. Shoot, that was just like a year ago. Yeah. It's like, so let's go ahead and we can be offended over that decision. When you can still go to Target, just don't use their bathrooms if it's that big of a deal to you. Like, go shop at Target. Don't Just don't use their bathrooms. Um, we're going to get yeah. offended over Disney because Disney has some um, homosexual um, um, agenda, supposedly, quote-unquote, right? That they have things that do that, LGBTQ stuff. Like, okay, so we're going to go ahead and be offended and we're going to boycott and we're going to say ban Disney. We're going to say ban Target. We're going to say boycott right. all these things. But then when other people get offended over something that's actually more – probably more hurtful to God <laughs> – than 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 some of these other things and then bathrooms right he's probably more he's gonna i'm assuming right from what i read in scripture i think he's more hurt over people who carry his i his image inside of them being oppressed being um being uh segregated being um basically marginalized being pushed aside being judged being beaten, being murdered in the streets, being I'm pretty sure that he's gonna be more offended by that than he would be over people getting dignity enough to be able to use a bathroom. Right? Um right. because he's saying like this is what I see in the scripture, is that people need to be lifted up. And when there's something that causes more hurt to them, that is not something that's gonna bring him joy. And I know yeah. that I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna tick off a bunch of Christian listeners on this one because oh my gosh, you're a pastor and you're saying this. Listen, yeah. for me personally, I'm I'm like I've watched it. I've watched how Christian leaders, Christian people have jumped on. I mean, talk about Elvis when Jerry Lee Lewis, right, who was a who was actually a Christian man at the when he was like younger, like he had people coming after him. Because he was singing Great Balls of Fire, right? And when he sang um, Great Balls of Fire, like he had Christian leaders, right? I think he was actually related to um, Jimmy Swaggart, if I remember correctly. Um, it was either Swaggart or Falwell. He was one of those dudes that he was related to who okay. like, who actually came after, um, it, like he came after him and they said ban Jerry Lee Lewis, right? Um, ban Elvis because they were shaking, like the way that they were dancing, right? It was like all these things. Footloose is a great demonstration of that, right? Ban dancing because Christians were like, this is not, this is of Satan, right? It's like we, right. we have been all about cancel culture in the Christian church. Oh, yeah. But now all of a sudden when we're seeing people who have been oppressed and marginalized and all that stuff and, and rising up against things that they should be canceling, it's like, well, wait a second. Get over yourselves. Quit being so offended. I think, <laughs> we were offended by Jerry Lee Lewis and Great Balls of Fire. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And I, I told you about – I was just talking the other day. I was like, uh, I wish that the church in the 1980s – had been as much against racism as it was against witchcraft. But, I mean, they had us believing that, like, Dungeons and Dragons and anything like that was just of the devil. And I don't I don't know. I was like, man, if they had gone this hard against racism, it would have ended. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, and that's the thing. Like, but, we, we have to be we have to be owning this part of our, of our identity as Christians. 
is that right. why don't we start moving our way to fighting against what's actually hurting the heart of God, right? Yeah. And not just hurting. To, like, be offended, to be offended by the things that offend Jesus, which the Bible is pretty clear that what offends God, what offends Jesus is oppression of other people, oppressing widows, uh, not adopting the fatherless, uh, being hurtful to the alien, the outsider, uh, you know, just and also legalism offends God. You know, self righteousness offends God. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the stuff that we need to be offended by, not yeah. this other stuff. Yeah, and and so we have to be willing to admit the the our wrong in this. Step into the role that we're called to to, to step into. Uh, Micah six eight, right? He's shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, right? Um, that's that's what's required of us. Do justly, right? Do stand up for what is just, right? Like, and and if everything that's just is giving dignity back to humanity, everything that's just is that, right? That's that's really what it's about. So so when we think about it, like when we're trying to take away rights from people, when we're talking about the idea of not allowing people to be in in certain positions or whatever because of how whoever they are or whatever they their background is or whatever, it's like that's not being just. That's fitting our comfort. God is like, no, justice is about really lifting up humanity and bringing dignity back to the broken, right? Mercy is recognizing yeah. that, like, man, like nobody deserves to be here. Nobody deserves anything, but we're able to have life, right? And that is mercy. Yeah. Mercy is allowing people to live a life and freely and openly and be like be like let allow God to do the work in them. But when we continue to be merciless and we continue to be heartless towards them and not know how to practice empathy with them and compassion, now God is kind of like, look, I'm trying to do the work and you are hindering me because you think you know what I would do and you don't know what I would do. Allow me to be who I am. You be who I've called you to be, right? That's really what that's about. And humility is recognizing that we don't know it all. We don't know it all. Walk in a way where you need to learn, right? You need to understand. And you don't know everything about God. So when you think God wouldn't allow these people into heaven, God wouldn't allow this to happen, God wouldn't, you're not God. So stop acting like you know what God would do. Just listen and learn and walk humbly, knowing that you are not perfect. You need to be worked on. There are things inside of you that are broken just like everybody else. And when you walk in this world, that's what's going to move you to be more just and more merciful is because you recognize that you need justice and you need mercy. <laughs> so love your neighbors. You love yourself, right? Again, there it is. So yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that's that's that, and we're we're over our time in our normal hour. But I feel like, in, and I have a feeling this conversation is going to continue next week. But um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's where my last thought goes is in, in this whole thing for right now. Well, well, all of my last thoughts were, uh, you know, said in the um, you know daughters of the of the Confederacy uh, conversation. But I want to say, um, Christians before you uh, roll your eyes and go, Oh, look, these people are offended by something else that shouldn't offend them. Uh, maybe stop and think about the, the goofy things you've been offended by in the past 20 or 30 years. <laughs> Amen. Right. 
that's that's exactly where we need to be is remembering that so good i like that well jared as always man this is a great conversation and i'm looking forward to yeah, being back next week because uh i have a feeling again there's gonna be more for us to talk about um we still haven't even yeah. had a chance to talk about the bible the bible in front of the church thing with trump and other things like that so um there's <laughs> there's a there's a lot oh, it, it just all happens so fast you know gosh it, um yeah, i mean it used to be people could gripe about uh barack obama's tan suit for like a month you know yep but it just moves too fast now yeah yep so hey we're gonna we're gonna continue into this and and, and i'm i'm enjoying this process and so uh again man thanks for, for being a part of this with me it's been fun all right so hey um this has been the frankincense podcast uh again if you like what you're hearing if you enjoyed it uh like it share it comment uh rate us on itunes um, because honestly that helps people find us and that's a great way to support our uh, work. Uh, so with that, um, I'm Bobby and I'm Jared. It's been a great time here on the Frankincense podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.